Yo, Big D here with a UFC 284 preview on the Big D podcast. Before I bring in my UFC friend, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Strathmore Sports YouTube page. Yes, it is Super Bowl week, but we're taking a break for at least right now with the UFC episode. Back with more Super Bowl content. Also, check out the Big D podcast for all your audio listeners on Spotify and Apple. So, Another UFC pay-per-view, which means uh, Billy Ward is back uh, with Fantasy Labs and Action Network. So, Billy, for the first time in uh, since 2019, the UFC is venturing down under mate. You know what that means? Yeah, it's always fun when they travel to different areas. It seems like, you know, historically that meant a bunch of squash matches for the local people. I'm not so sure that's the case this time. Yeah, yeah. Usually, usually be walkovers, but uh, how about the main event had for the uh, lightweight belt between? Let me see. Let me see. I love these. I love these Russian guys. Isla Islam Makachev and Alexander Volkanov. And uh, Alex Vol. Wait, hold on. Let me see. Volkanovsky, you got oh, it. Alex Alexander Volkanovsky. Thank you. Yeah, it should be a really exciting one. Not only is it, you know, Volkanovski stepping up to try to become double champ, he's the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the UFC, according to their official rankings and pretty much everybody else's. I think the UFC actually has Islam as number two pound-for-pound right now. One could debate that based on resume and all that, but, you know, we don't really have any dominant men's champions right now who have held the belt for a long time. So it's, it's certainly a case to be made that these are the two top pound-for-pound fighters in the world at this moment squaring off you know they're only 10 pounds apart weight class wise so it's not like someone stepping up in the sense of you know Adesanya going up to 205 which was a 20 pound jump and didn't work out so well so yeah it should be a really exciting fight very important fight in terms of legacy and rankings and all that good stuff yeah first with Makachev I mean when you think of 155 pound fighters, the first guy you think of is Khabib because I mean Makachev and Khabib both came out of a similar Russian camp. But what's the difference between Khabib fighting and Makachev's fighting style? Yeah, obviously they're very similar. You know, Makachev is no blood relation to Khabib, but they call each other brothers. You know, Islam came up training with. Habib's dad, as did many of the people around there. I will say, I think Islam has a little bit more diverse striking attacks. You know, he'll get in there and brawl a little bit, throws a fair amount of head kicks. Not that Habib didn't do some of that stuff, but Makachev definitely seems more comfortable there. On the flip side, I don't think he's quite as dominant of a grappler the way Habib was. We're really splitting hairs here. They're both, you know, extremely, extremely solid grapplers overall but you know we saw Makachev against Armin Sarukian it was Sarukian's UFC debut when they fought and Sarukian gave him a real good run in the grappling exchanges you know Sarukian was able to get Makachev down Makachev got him down but didn't really keep him there for too long even from dominant positions and and my impression watching fights like that is Habib would have finished the fights from some of those spots where Makachev just isn't quite as dominating and as suffocating with his top pressure but again can he make up for it in the stand-up? I think that's where he excels a little bit over his more famous training partner. Yeah, when you speak of stand-up, when I see Alexander Volkanovski fight, I mean, especially the three fights against Max Holloway, they, they basically turned into an hour and 15 minutes box. I mean, yeah, they, yeah, Volkanovski did try to take down Holloway in their last fight, but to me, 
Volkanovski wants wants this fight to be a boxing match, if at all possible, and not and not a ground match where Makachev can just submit him from every angle whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. It's to a degree this is a striker versus grappler match. I think both these guys are a bit underrated in the thing that they're not best at. You know, Volkanovski, very solid grappler. We've never really seen him controlled on the ground. You know, his he's never lost in the UFC. His one career loss was like a million years ago in some regional fight. I think all the way up at welterweight was his only loss, but he's fought as high as welterweight as a professional. So I don't think he's a bad grappler. Yeah, he got head kicked at welterweight was his only career loss. He's not a bad grappler. No one controls him. You know, people take him down, but he pops right back up. I believe he got caught in the guillotine by, what was that, Ortega? For a little bit in there, but powered through it, you know, got back to a dominant position, didn't get submitted. I don't really see him getting tapped here. You know, Makachev can do that to anyone, especially through the ground and pound. But this fight's really going to come down to not so much whether Makachev can get takedowns, because I think he will, but how much control time, how much damage, how much can he score once he gets the takedown, because no one's ever really been able to keep Volkanovski down for an extended period. Do you worry about Volkanovski? Uh, two things that worry me about Volkanovski. One, one, he hasn't really delivered a lot of knockout finishes. Yeah, he'll get a lot of strikes. He'll put up a lot of points, which is great for DFS because we love points. But he's not a great knockout Finisher, he almost he almost needs like three or like a couple extra punches. And going up in weight class may or may probably doesn't help it because. But you know, do you think that Volkanovski's I wouldn't say power, but like repeated punches could potentially threaten Makachev with the ten pound, ten extra pounds he'll be carrying on Saturday night. Well, I'm going to start with addressing the size discrepancy here. I really am not that worried about it. You know, Volkanovski is huge in terms of like muscle and strength. He's had a long time to prepare for this. He's put some muscle back on. I don't think Islam is especially that big of a lightweight. Point being with any of that, I don't think there's going to be a tremendous weight or strength disadvantage once they actually get in there. You know, again, it's only a 10 pound difference between the weight class, which helps to a degree. And Volkanovsky used to be like a jack 200 pound rugby player. Like this is not a man whose frame can't carry a little bit extra muscle. Additionally, everyone Volkanovsky's fought almost has been either taller or longer than him. And Islam isn't huge. He's not some 6'2", you know, 76 inch reach lightweight or anything like that. In terms of body proportions, this is really not all that different than anyone he's fought. He's almost exactly proportional to Max Holloway, former lightweight, a little bit skinnier than Makachev, but height and reach pretty spot on. So I'm not super worried about that, but you make a good point. I don't see him having great shot at putting him away. You know, Makachev was knocked out in his own only professional loss. He was getting there and there brawling with the jujitsu guy. He's obviously not going to do that with Volkanovski. He's going to look to take Volkanovski down, but it can happen. You know, he, he can be tested in terms of chin. If Volkanovski is able to get a finish. My thought would be is it'd be like a real late. He's just worn him down, beat him up through all these rounds because Makachev can't get takedowns. Even that seems like a real big stretch, though, because even if Makachev isn't getting takedowns, he's going to be engaged in the scramble enough of the time that he's going to be keeping it going as, as not a striking match. He's going to be keeping him engaged to the point where Volkanovski isn't just landing a bunch of barrages like he did against Korean Zombie. 
how much do you think the Australian crowd will play a factor? Because obviously Volkanovski will have, uh, what do you think, 99.99% of the fans support in Perth? Yeah, my pet theory with that is the only thing where it really matters is if the crowd overreacts to positive moments from Volkanovski and underreacts to moments from Makachev, or insert any Australian or non-Australian fighter in here, I think it can sway the judges a little bit. I think we talked about it last time when they are in Brazil, but a lot of that home field advantage in other sports is because judges get unconsciously swayed by fans. So if it does go to a decision and it's very close, then I think it'll matter. But we have seen judges in you know other countries and far off locations do, in my opinion, a lot better job in the last couple of years where five, 10 years ago, you know, if, if you were a French guy fighting in Fran- France, you won if it went to a decision. I don't really think that's the case here. I also don't really see it being a close decision, not because I'm saying Makachev is going to dominate, but if he can get and keep Volkanovski down, it's going to be pretty one-sided. If he can't, I think it's going to be pretty one-sided the other way. So I don't really see at least any individual rounds being up for debate. You know, we might see Makachev get takedowns early and then not late or vice versa. But I think almost every round here is going to have a pretty clear winner. Yeah, to be honest, the one thing I'm looking at is the line because uh, I know you look at the I know you look at the lines, and I can't believe Volkanovski is as big of a dog as he is. I'm here. I'm seeing numbers like plus three fifteen, and I'm like, what? Isn't he like the best pound for pound fighter in the world? Sure, he's going up ten pounds, but but to me, Volkanovski does not deserve to be this big of a dog. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. I kind of had the same thought when Islam was fighting Oliveira, and we saw how that worked out. So you know, not Habib, good. Not right. good Habib, Habib and all of his you know various training partners, they have a way of making everybody look bad. With that said, if I'm betting a money line on this one, it's definitely Volkanovski at the odds. And you know, as we know or should know, if you're playing UFC DFS, the salaries are pretty tightly correlated to the odds, which means we're getting Volkanovski at 6,700. That's extremely cheap for a guy with his work weight, work rate. Unless you think he gets finished right off the bat. I can't see not playing Volkanovski. You know, in tournaments, there's a different question because he probably needs a win. Makachev might be a tough ask in tournaments at 9,500 if he can't get a finish or a ton of takedowns. But for cash games, yeah, you definitely got to play both of these two. Just the scoring potential on this one should be high. Which I will say, you know, we haven't seen Makachev in a five-round fight. He's looked strong in third round. I was going to say, Makachev has never been to a fifth round. Well, you know, Volkanovski's gas tank is limitless. I mean, he and Max Holloway wail at it for 25 minutes every time they fought. Yeah, and, you know, Volkanovski tends to get better deep into fights. I, I have zero questions that in terms of, like, physical preparedness, Makachev will be in shape to do those rounds. But whether he'll burn himself out, whether all those intense wrestling scrambles you know, whether he'll get too excited given the gravity of the situation. I think those are reasonable questions. So from a betting standpoint, if you're going to get bet Volkanovski, you know, Volkanovski in over two and a half, Volkanovski by decision, Volkanovski fourth or fifth round, stuff like that is where I'm looking. But from a DFS standpoint, if we're thinking it goes late, that probably means lots of points both ways. Certainly a strong case for playing both guys. What is the legacy for the winner of this fight? Because to me, I mean, Makachev has got the chance to be the second coming can be, but Volkanovski's got the chance to follow Conor McGregor and win the 145 and the 155 pound belt. 
Yeah, you know, for Volkanovski, I think we really make a case that he's the greatest pound for pound at very least MMA fighter of all time with the win here. Connor did it. Yeah, sure. Never really defended either of those belts. They kind of, you know, he caught guys at the right time. He didn't win any of those belts by fighting a top two or three pound for pound guy in the world at the time he did it. So this is, you know, apples and oranges as far as I'm concerned. But it's really hard. I mean, you know, it's probably more impressive than GSP coming up to middleweight and winning a title. Probably even more impressive than Randy Couture. Both those guys came back to fight up a weight class because they saw a champion that they thought was an easy matchup for them. That is not what Volkanovski is doing. You know, Oliveira probably would have been an easier matchup for him. A lot of lightweight champions between Habib and here would have been better matchups for Volkanovski. He's really going out there fighting the best guy they can find after having successfully pretty much cleared out the 145 division. The guys we have fighting for the 145-pound interim title on the co-main event here, they don't really seem like legitimate challengers or legitimate threats to Volkanovski. So he's he's cleared out that division in a way that McGregor never did and now stepping up to fight for a heavier weight class title, I think he might very well be the best fighter of all time if he can pull this off. Well, you mentioned the interim 145 belt, and to be honest, the co-main event does not excite me in quite the same way between Josh Edmund and let me see if I can get the other... Yair Rodriguez. Yair Rodriguez. So... I'm excited by it because it's going to be an awesome fight. Like, I like both these guys, both real high-paced. I'm struggling with it because, one, there's no reason to declare an interim title just because Volkanovski is stepping away for one fight. If there was some guy who was clearly the number two fighter who really deserved a shot at it, okay. That's not what we're seeing here. Rodriguez is favored, but he's coming in on a win over Brian Ortega. He had Ortega in an armbar, and Ortega's shoulder popped out. We could kind of debate whether that was a result of something Rodriguez did or a freak injury. I tend to lean towards that being a freak injury. An armbar is not an attack for the shoulder. Ortega was defending it. He was arguably winning the fight. Shoulder pops out. You know, not very convincing. Before that, he had just lost to Max Holloway. Ahmed, on the other hand, more of a win streak, but his last win was a split over Calvin Cutter. I really had that scored against Emmett. If I recall correctly, I had a bet out on Emmett, and I still had that scored against him. So, again, neither of these two really have me convinced that, you know, should they win the title and Volkanovski comes back to 45, they're a legitimate threat. With that said, super fun fight. Like, ton of activity from both these guys, a lot of action. Both guys, really good cardio. So, if it goes four or five rounds, it's not going to be a snooze fest at the end. So, you know, mixed feelings on that. We don't need to call everything interim titles, though, just because a guy's taken one fight off. It's like it's like what's going on at uh what is it two or five now? Well, seemingly they have an interim title fight at every other pay per view. Well, to be fair, two o five that was just the title fight this time. Kind of feels like an interim with Yuri surrendering it. But yeah, it's just weird how they do that. You know, Ngannou was on the shelf for more than a year. It only became not his title when he signed with somebody else. But they didn't call any of those interim title fights. Sometimes a guy you know takes two weeks off and all of a sudden it's an interim title fight. So. I don't know what's going on with that. Doesn't really matter. From a DFS standpoint, though, it's important because that suddenly becomes a five-round fight. Fairly close in pricing, 8,500 for Rodriguez, 77 for Emmett. Like I said, both guys pretty good activity level, both averaging over 70 points a fight. I don't love putting in all four main or you know title fighters in my cash game lineups. You might have to here just because you see two fights where even the loser should end up with a good amount of scoring. Then it frees up some salary since, 
you know, the combined salary is a little bit less than the average, and then you're good to go. Not 100% on that. I'm going to try to find a way to exclude somebody from there, but I don't feel confident enough in either Rodriguez or Emmett that I feel like I can definitely pick the winner here. I feel I feel like you've got I feel like you've got to have all four title fighters too because you're gonna leave out you're gonna leave out Makachev no you're gonna leave out Volkanovski at in the sixes no and I feel like with these two guys whether it be at Emin or Rodriguez I feel like having both of them would just give me more safety yeah it might not be a, it might be not be the sexy thing to do like if Maybe if you're doing a tournament, you might have one or the other thinking if one gets an early knockout or wins and puts up a hundred and uh, umpteen points, like what happened the main event last week. Then at least I've got what I've got both guys. Like you've got this guy with this guy in a GPP lineup. Yeah, I mean for tournaments you almost always have to have six winners in there unless it's like every favorite wins on the card. So yeah, you're going to play one guy from either fight, you know, mix in your Volkanovski when you're using other heavy favorites, blah, blah, blah. I, I think that one's pretty obvious, you know, for cash games, if you have a strong read on Rodriguez versus Emmett, even a strong price considered read, you know, one of these guys is a little bit too expensive or too cheap. I'm fine with just playing one of them. You just have to be a little bit more precise, you know, and not miss anywhere else in your lineup. Because if you you know play Rodriguez at eighty five hundred and the other cheap guy you put in for Emmett gets outscored by thirty points by Emmett, win or lose, you know just gets outscored on volume, you're in a bad spot because a lot of the field's going to have both of the co-main event fighters. So uh, besides the four, besides the four main event or co-main event finals, who do you think stands out as a really good cash play? Because uh, I can think of a guy who stands out who stands out in my eyes. And well, I let me hear what you're thinking, then we'll go from there. Oh no. You gonna make me announce you gonna make me announce all these Russian guys. Come on, man. Oh, which which one is it? I'll I'll help you through the pronunciation if you're it's, unsure. It's uh Zupa Hero took a uh, Hukugov. Yeah, I mean right, of course the ninety six hundred fighter massive favorite. Is going to be a solid play. It's tricky, though, with Islam right there at 95. If you're playing the four main event fighters, that really puts you in a rough spot salary-wise. So, you know, if you're able to find a reason slash excuse to fade Yair Rodriguez, you might be able to get there. But that's going to be really tough if you're playing all four of the title fighters. So I hear you. Yeah, he's obviously a good choice. But, yeah, we want to play all the expensive guys. That doesn't mean we necessarily can. I'm building one now real quick just to see what you're left with if you go there. You yeah, so so if you play Tukagov in the four title fights, eight thousand left. That's not horrible. You know, I, I actually like Bagdasari in the eight thousand fighter, who would be the obvious choice there. Though there's some other choices. As far as cheaper guys, I'm looking at, I think Randy Brown at seven thousand is intriguing. You know, he's really tall and long and awkward, and he's just kind of a tough matchup for anyone. He's a huge underdog here to Della Madalena, who's just rolled through and knocked out everyone. But I think Randy Brown is one of those guys who, due to his awkwardness, due to his ability to mix styles and stuff, he could make this a lot more competitive than the betting line is, you know, implying. So he's not a bad one if you're playing a cheaper fighter. Um, You know, Parker Porter and Justin Taffa. Parker Porter, weirdly, has a pretty safe floor just because he lands so many strikes. So unless he gets knocked out right away, probably will be okay. Not that I ever, like, want to play Parker Porter, but... 
you know, for a cash game, not a terrible option. Probably not going to play Elise Reed. You know, we like those cheaper female fighters, but she is she's not good. Both of her losses have been stoppages. Both of her wins have been decisions. That's not a good sign. Yeah, and we all remember what happened to the chief female fighter last week. We didn't even fight it. Who didn't even fight on the call? Yeah, fortunately, we got that news in time to pivot off of it. Now I know we don't have a couple of the. I know we don't have a couple Australian fighters on the call, but which Aussie other than Volkanovski are you uh, ready? Are you excited to see? Um, it'll be fun to see Jimmy Crude again. You know, he's kind of been not super active as of late. His last fight was a knockout loss to Jamal Hill, which, you know, people were a little bit down on at the time. That was, you know, a little over a year ago. Crute uh, was favored in that one. But now that we know how good Jamal Hill is, maybe, you know, we look a little bit more favorably upon Crute than we did before. So that's an interesting one. Um, you know, Kulibau versus Bagdasarian is pretty much a toss-up fight. So those are always fun. I actually really like Melsa Bagdasarian. Very exciting kickboxing style. That could be a good fight. Jamie Malarkey is fighting a UFC newcomer. Um, Jack Jenkins is a prospect I've had my eye on for a little bit. So that should be a good one, too. You know, a lot of these guys, no one's really, like, must-see TV or anything like that. But a lot of these guys look pretty interesting. It seems like everyone in Australia is a UFC fighter at this point, like all the people who live there. So they just keep churning these guys out. Uh, Tyson Pedro also fighting. I think he's fighting the uh, – the... Maybe the best name in the U- UFC, at least one of the best names. Uh, Buhakis? 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 It's Modestus Bukakis. Modestus Bukakis. <laughs> yeah, I'm not super pumped about that one. Bukakis was one and three in the UFC, including a knockout to Jimmy Crute. Bounced out, fought some lower level competition that's coming back. This is one of those like we're talking about in terms of trying to get the local fighter what should be an easy win. Whether it works out that way or not is a different story. Pedro was interesting, had like three years off, came back with a couple knockouts, but he knocked out Ike Villanueva and Harry Hunsucker, who are two of the lower levels among the big guy divisions. There's and, just not and I think Busakis is also taking this fight on short notice because that was one of the fights where I would play where the other guy was, where somebody was supposed to fight, Pedro was supposed to fight somebody, but he dropped out. Yeah, I I think it was early enough that I'm not too worried about it. You know, it's not like this was yesterday that we got the news, especially with these bigger guys. But yeah, I, I mean, sure, could be a nice knockout for Pedro if it goes the way his last few have, but not super intriguing. I don't really see a lot of high level potential from either guy. But Crute versus Menafield, you know, I mentioned Crute. Crute versus Menafield, somebody should get knocked out pretty quick. That's going to be the swing fight in my UFC article at Fantasy Labs. Like, someone's getting stopped. Not super confident who, but these are both two guys with a ton of power. Both have shown a little bit of uh, ability to get knocked out as well. So, should be a fun one. Now, before we sign off here, I do want to ask you about about an intro about some more of the UFC development this week where uh, Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler are going to be coaches on the Ultimate Fighter Season 31 edition. I mean, having Conor McGregor as a coach is going to be pretty dang exciting, but uh, 
what do you think? I mean, do you think Conor McGregor is just more a showman at this point of his career, or is he potentially like a, or does he have anything left in terms of positive UFC fighting engagement? I mean, I guess it kind of depends on your definition. I certainly don't think he's making a title run ever again. They're doing this fight, at, the fight that follows the season is going to be at 170, which tells you how much bigger he's got. Uh, he's got no shot in there against Kamaro Usman, Shavkat Rachmanov, Bilal Muhammad. You know, like, there's some killers at 170. A lot I of think, guys. I think, lot of guys would have the, I think Khan would have the trouble at 145 and 155 now. There's no way he's being, there's no way he's being Makachev or Volkanovski. No way. Honestly, of stylistically of all those fights, not that he's ever going to make 145 again. We've all seen the pictures. Stylistically, Volkanovski would probably be the easiest one just because it would be mostly a stand-up match. It'd be kind of like a Volkanovski-Holloway type thing where McGregor could find that punch. All these other guys are just going to take him down. You know, Poirier made him look pretty bad on the ground. These other guys are certainly going to go through him. With all that said, Michael Chandler, pretty intriguing matchup there. I don't think Chandler uses his offensive wrestling nearly enough. I think if he was smart, he would go in there and try to take McGregor down and pound him out. But I think McGregor or Chandler at this point in his career is also more in it for big fights, big names, more so than an actual title run. So probably both these guys are going to be out there all swole, looking all strong, swinging real hard, see who falls first. That's that's my prediction for the fight. I believe the betting markets have it as about a toss-up at opening. I'm guessing that's going to go more towards Chandler as we get closer, just given the layoff and the injury and the total disinterest in fighting we've seen from McGregor lately. Really hard to make him a favorite over Michael Chandler, but you know. I feel I feel like that I feel like that fight's gonna be over quickly because you've got two guys who who wanna go at it. It's not gonna be one. Like I don't know what the first round knockout almost would be, but I, I've got a feeling those puppies are gonna be juice. Yeah, that's that's probably a pretty safe assumption, but I don't know. It's sure it's fun, but you know, in terms of being like a real fight fan who wants to see the best guys going against the best, that one doesn't really do it for me. I'm going to watch it, but like this is more for the spectacle than it is because we think either of these guys are challenging for anything significant. And good on Chandler, too. You know, he's been getting called out by a lot of these up-and-coming 55ers. I think, you know, the Mateus Gamrot, Benny Dariush, Armin Sarukians of the world would absolutely slaughter Michael Chandler at this point in their careers. So I'm more excited about those guys coming up. Hopefully someone's willing to fight any of them because it seems like all the old guard is ducking them. But that'll be real interesting, too, if Volkanovski wins the 55 belt because then maybe you do Makachev versus Gamrod or Dariush or something like that. They tried Makachev versus Dariush. But I'm going off on a tangent here. I'm sorry. Totally unrelated to the question at this point. Hey, I mean, hey, I mean that's part of, that's part of, our, getting, of our questionnaire. I mean, sometimes I go off on questions you ask me or sometimes you go off on questions I ask you. And that's... I will say to kind of loop things back to UFC 284, that's kind of the beauty of this fight. You know, Volkanovski cleared out 45. Not that Makachev had cleared out 55. He just won the title. But he's already, he's kind of already crowned as the next king and all this stuff. So no matter which way this one goes, it really opens up some possibilities. You know, if Makachev beats him, we got these young and upcoming 55ers rather to challenge. If Volkanovski wins at 55, does he stay there? Does he go back to 45? What do we do with that division? So, you know, this was perfect matchmaking. Awesome fight. You know, gave the UFC the freedom to make kind of a lesser pay-per-view behind it. 
and all of us still be really excited for it. So, you know, that's why they're in the business that they're in. So thanks for hopping on, Billy. Uh, we hope we hope uh, your bets and uh, lineups this weekend go well, and uh, hopefully we'll be uh, dancing wallabies, koalas, and kangaroos Saturday night, Sunday morning with uh, UFC 284 and the Super Bowl this weekend. Thanks, Dylan.